I'm sure you've heard by now because it's everywhere. Ultra Hawk Federal Reserve Chairman Jay Powell has gone up to Capitol Hill to testify before Congress on inflation and interest rates, or really how he intends to use the latter to control the former. So two out of the three Federal Reserve mandates. Yes, you heard me correctly there. There are three Fed mandates, not two. Now everybody knows about the dual mandate because they talk about the dual mandate all the time, but something called the Federal Reserve Reform Act of 1977 actually gave the Fed three. The first one, maximum employment, uh, uh, getting the Fed to refocus its efforts on the Employment Act of 1946, which said you need to, you need to try to do everything you can to maximize employment in the United States economy. The Reform Act of 77 also said, hey, you know, there's a lot of inflation and it's been over a decade so far and it doesn't seem to be going away. Maybe you guys at the Fed could do something about that too. That's the second mandate. But it also said, you know what? We also need you to actually focus on moderate long-term interest rates too because that would be really nice. So maximum employment instead of the massive unemployment, structural unemployment that looked like cyclical unemployment of the 1970s, as well as all that massive inflation, it would be also nice if interest rates didn't get up into the double digits and stay there forever. So there's three mandates to the Federal Reserve according to the Federal Reserve Reform Act of 1977. And what the Fed has said over the years since is that, you know what, if we get employment right and we get inflation right, interest rates will take care of themselves. They will neither be too high nor too low if we do our job correctly. And as you'll note over the last 15 years in particular, something, something is really off with interest rates and it's not quantitative easing. But Congress back in the 1970s, that wasn't the only way in which the Federal Reserve was for, reformed. There were many reform proposals and several reform laws, including the one that followed in 1978 called the Full Employment and Balanced Growth Act of 1978, which we know today as Humphrey Hawkins. In fact, we know it specifically today because that is the reason why Jay Powell is in front of Congress, to explain himself on all of the monetary policy issues or the Federal Reserve issues, not monetary policy issues, which are supposed to be taken care of by the Fed, but may not be taken care of by the Fed. As you can understand, Congress the people, the administration, everybody was a little upset with the Federal Reserve back in the 1970s for all that stagflation. High, high levels of unemployment, high levels of inflation, and even higher interest rates. So three mandates, not two, and the Fed has to explain itself to Congress when it isn't living up to those. Or at least that's the way it used to be. Now how it got to be that way and how it got to be the way we are today Everybody should hear these stories. Everybody should know the history here. And we're going to do we're going to do our part today to correct to to illuminate why what the Humphrey Hawkins was really trying to get at and why it is that the Federal Reserve really needs to explain itself in more actual detail than it than it does during these testimonies. So we'll talk about Humphrey Hawkins, but really this is about the Fed in actual monetary circumstances. But first, I'm Jeff this is Eurodollar University. Thank you for joining me. Eurodollar University is all about understanding money, scholarship, research, history, the details. There's memberships available at Eurodollar.University as well as research subscriptions. A daily briefing I do in partnership with Markets Insider Pro. That's Stephen Van Meter, Tracy Schuchart. You get a bundle there as well as the deep dive analysis where we dive deep into these very topics because they are incredibly important. 
This is not just about the 1970s and monetary evolution and the Fed getting it all wrong. This is why the Fed continues to get it all wrong to this very day, as well as understanding how for a period in between, the Fed seemed to get it right, but it didn't get it right. Something else went right. All of the information, subscriptions, memberships, eurodollar.university. So the Humphrey-Hawkins Act was passed in October 1978, and really, uh, Senator Humphrey wanted it to go much, much further. He wanted something almost like MMT. He wanted the government to create a jobs bank because of the massive amount of unemployment at that time, especially later, the later stages of the great inflation. Unemployment was as big a problem as inflation was. And so what he wanted was the government to, he wanted the Federal Reserve to help it, help the government fund a jobs bank. Something, again, that's a central component to MMT. But what he did get, that he didn't obviously get that, but what, what Humphrey got along with, uh, with Senator Hawkins or Congressman Hawkins was this idea that we're going to force the Fed to not just report to Congress, but to stick to its numbers. We need the Federal Reserve to prepare uh, targets money supply and credit targets and then if they're not going to stick with those money supply and credit targets they need to come before congress and tell them what changed and why they deviated it was an attempt to enforce some form of accountability on the federal reserve because even the idiot politicians in congress had associated the stagflation of the great inflation with maybe something going on or something going wrong pers persistently at the central bank the federal reserve now, when the Reform Act or the uh, Humphrey-Hawkins Act, Act was passed in 1978, of course, that required the Fed to do a bunch of things that it hadn't really been doing before. And it triggered all sorts of discussions about, well, what are we going to do now? We have to get prepared for 1979 where we have to report to Congress. And not only that, they had to come up with new money supply targets, new targets on everything, because nothing had been working. So in one sense, the purpose of the Humphrey-Hawkins Act was to get the Fed to focus on the, at least the basics and then to, re, then to uh, testify and to tell the public, to, to explain what it's supposed to be doing. What are these money supply and credit targets for and why aren't we meeting them or why are we meeting them? It was really, again, as I said, a, a, it was a way to try to get the Fed to be accountable to the macroeconomic environment, which was utterly awful, devastating. Again, by 1978, you're talking about 13 years of the great inflation by then, and only going to get worse over the next couple of years ahead. So we're going to start today, well, we're really going to dig in it today with a couple FOMC meetings at the, during this period, late 1978, as the Humphrey-Hawkins Act was passed and turned into law. Um, December 19th, 1978, the FOMC got together in its regular policy meeting. And one of the major points of conversation at that time was how are they going to meet this new requirement? This requirement that said you have to specify long-term ranges for money and credit aggregates for the calendar year ahead. And then you need to go to Congress, tell Congress what those targets are, what are those target ranges, and if you're not meeting those targets, explain why that it must be the case. Now, as the Federal Reserve talked about, they were wondering whether this was a hard constraint, an operational constraint, or more of a reporting requirement. Because there was some discussion there where the Fed said, you know, maybe it's not ideal if we sit in November and December 1978 preparing targets for 1979 and something big like 
Maybe an oil shock comes along that we didn't anticipate, and the law requires us to stick to these targets. So what the law required was you prepare those targets, you give them to Congress ahead of time, and then you come to Capitol Hill and tell us why you're either meeting them or if you're not meeting them, you need to explain yourself about exactly that. So here's the conversation about that. It starts with Chairman Bill Miller. He says, that's correct. Specifically in, its, in the law, it says that. Uh, this is in response to a question of whether this is a reporting requirement or an operating requirement. As Mr. Wynn replied, it's a reporting requirement, not an operating requirement. So the, the law was requiring the Fed to prepare these money and credit targets, but then they could, they could deviate from them if circumstances required. And as, as Chairman Miller said, that's correct. Uh, another Ms. Teeters jumps in, but you've got to tell why in July you didn't come out the way you started. That's still a reporting requirement, Mr. Wynn replied, not an operating requirement. That's correct. This is Mr. Partee. We can change it any time, and we could go broader than that in terms of ranges, I think. Well, we could report this to Congress and be operating on something entirely different, but, Chairman Miller interjects, that would be a little deceitful. Mr. Partee again, I really think that is getting too complicated. I would suggest, though, this is Larry Roos, that Congress isn't going to be lying in a docile posture, letting us switch our processes and our signals to meet our own needs. I would agree with Nancy Teeters that we've got to think of the congressional relations aspect. If they think we're trying to dodge the intent or the spirit of Humphrey Hawkins' bill, I think all whatnot will break loose and we'll be forced to do things that we don't want to do. Again, Congress wasn't happy with the Federal Reserve because of the circumstances of the great inflation. And the Federal Reserve was saying, but we have enormous, number, enormous problems of our own that this reporting requirement because it was a reporting requirement, whether it's an operational requirement or reporting requirement, was a big deal for them. So Congress wasn't happy. Nobody was happy. Congress said, explain yourselves. Tell us exactly what it is you're doing. Because up till now, we've let the Federal Reserve do what it's going to do anyway. And the results have been, let us say, less than inspiring. So the Fed was realizing here, especially Larry Roos, that they couldn't continue to operate in the same sort of dark black box backroom uh, secrecy that they had up until then. They needed to really start taking this seriously. Not just the Humphrey Hawkins law, but really the public relations aspect of this in terms of explaining themselves to a public that was getting angrier by the day. Because again, 13 years of the great inflation by this point, which is more than enough. Now the reason the Federal Reserve or those at the Federal Reserve were were resisting this requirement, or at least questioning it, was because they really couldn't meet it. The requirement said, we know that the Humphrey Hawkins bill, the spirit of it was that, look, we know inflation is monetary. We know this great inflation stagnation stuff is about the monetary system. We also know that you people haven't been living up to your end of the bargain, not just the Employment Act, but everything else as well. Again, the Reform Act of 1977. So Humphrey Hawkins imposed this at least a reporting requirement. It says, okay, you got to tell us at the beginning of the year what your money targets are, and then you got to report on why you're either meeting them or not meeting them. And so again, as Larry Roos said, if the Fed just said, ah, screw this, we're just going to do our own thing anyway, at the very least, they would have to explain themselves in public in front of Congress, which was at least some minimal form of accountability, which was sorely missing here. 
Now, the Fed wasn't necessarily resistant to the accountability part because most of the policymakers back then realized they had screwed up big. But what had they screwed up? That's the part that nobody gets. Even today, the, the Volcker era, the Great Moderation, everything that came in between has obscured this massive change in monetary history and what it really represented, where the great inflation actually came from. It wasn't the Fed printing money. It was the banking system coming up with new ways, inventing new forms of money that was making monetary control from a centralized public perspective nigh on impossible. So as Larry, let's finish up in December 1978, Larry Roos, I feel that the spirit of the Humphrey Hawkins Act is, even if it isn't written into the law, it is the intent of this act to call on us to set specific, specific annual aggregate target ranges. And I believe that our ability or inability to accomplish those ranges, at least under ordinary circumstances, will be judged very critically by Congress. Certainly, if you look back, our record in setting ranges and staying within them has been rather spotty since 1975 and really before then, when we had the concurrent joint resolution 133. Again, trying to get the Fed to be responsible was not something that just showed up out of the blue. We have computed that out of 44 attempts to stay within certain short-term aggregate ranges, we missed 22 to 50% of the time. I don't think this new Humphrey Hawkins arrangement, um, I don't think in this new Humphrey Hawkins arrangement, we are going to be able to remain as invisible or as unaccountable in this regard as we have in the past. Again, Congress was pissed. The public was exceptionally angry. Something needed to happen. But the Fed, the Fed pushed back because the Fed said, we don't do money. We can't even define it. Telling us we need to define a target range for a money aggregate is almost impossible. So it triggered this discussion, this effort to maybe, let's try to rejigger the ranges or rejigger the aggregate so that we can come up with useful ranges because up until now, the monetary aggregates the Fed had been trying to rely on had proven unreliable. This should sound very familiar. So let's go back to October 1978. The Humphrey Hawkins bill has just been imposed. Congress, the Senate in particular, has told the Fed what it wants out of the Fed. And the Fed said, privately, this is going to be a big problem. Let's start with Governor Phil Jackson. This is October 1978. I have for a long time felt that our concept of money on which we base policy aren't properly reflective of the underlying purposes for which they were originally designed because technical aspects of privileges of certain types of intermediaries have changed and therefore our underlying purposes for measuring money this way have been distorted. You can hear Alan Greenspan much later as I'll get to echoing in this comment. And it is my hope that the committee will modify its definitions, not only of M1, but M2 and M3, all across the line. It would be my hope that we'd go forth and modify those definitions, beginning with the new Humphrey Hawkins concept of reporting, and have a good, clean slate to start off of. Uh, another one, this was Governor Charles Partee. Now, in writing our report to, to Congress, we're going to be using staff input and there could well be some staff contribution from staffs other than those represented by the members on the subcommittee. If there is something that can be done, Steve Axelrod is the staff director of the subcommittee and he's the one to work through. But I agree with you, there are a lot of important issues here and I think we have to look at them carefully. I realize there's an affection for M1, but there's no way to estimate it and have it be worth anything anymore. Humphrey Hawkins was forcing the Fed to confront the fact that its monetary targets and aggregates were just 
unreliable. Go back to Chairman Bill Miller. What we need to do is return to the halcyon days when the central bank operated in secrecy. This was only partly in jest because the whole reason the Fed was being forced out of its secrecy was the fact that it wasn't living up to any of those three mandates, which became mandates, employment, inflation, and interest rates. Uh, Mr. Morris responded to Mr. Miller, I think we need some market input to this new concept of M1+. One possibility is that there are other things that might be included. For example, overnight repurchase agreements. I would hate to see us put M1 Plus in a directive until we've had some feedback from the market and from the academic world as to whether it is a reasonable alternative. Are we ready to give it any kind of official sanction? They were just throwing money targets together, not really relying on them, understanding how inappropriate those targets had been. And here was Congress saying enough. We've had enough of this crap. You people need to start living up to things because the people, the American workers, American people are getting the short end of the stick here. So Humphrey Hawkins was originally designed to make the Fed live up to its billing. Let's go for it again. This is Mr. Axelrod. On the definitions of money, we plan, as I mentioned before, to have within two months new definitions taking account of the fact that the world has changed. So Humphrey Hawkins forced the Fed to finally officially confront the fact the monetary world had changed. Um, with regards to the reserve, we can skip that stuff. And Chairman Miller responded, I don't want to duck the issue. I think it's a subject that needs exploration, and I assume the committee has done it before. It came up when I was first appointed to the Board of Governors, that was the year before, and the decision was, and I didn't have the background, that no changes be made at the time. Even though the great inflation was over a decade old, even though for many years the Fed had talked about how the monetary aggregates were not working, they thought, well, now's not a good time to change it. So you can see, again, why Humphrey Hawkins demanded these targets and demanded testimony on these targets was because the Fed just kept dragging its feet over a very difficult task. So back to Chairman Miller, let's not come up at our, to our January, February meetings where we're trying to decide on new policies without some pre-thought because all of us need to, to digest these things. They're too complicated and too difficult. This is the part nobody knows. The monetary system had completely changed. And what everybody believes is that the Fed under Volcker got the monetary system back under control. But as Alan Greenspan in June of 2000 Testify, not testified, but said privately in the FOMC meeting, admitted, confessed, they never did solve this monetary puzzle. It remains one to this day. And the reason it was talked about in June of 2000, because the money supply and credit aggregate targets and ranges that the Humphrey Hawkins bill had imposed in 1977 had been sunsetted for the year 2000. And in June 2000, the Fed got together and said, well, here's, here's Chairman Greenspan. It is quite conceivable that such ranges, money supply and credit ranges, may at some point be useful again. But I personally feel uncomfortable engaging in an activity of this nature when we do not actually employ the ranges for the specific purpose of formulating our monetary policy. I think we have to monitor the various monetary aggregates because indeed there is information in them. It is conceivable at some point they will emerge again with some very useful relationships with respect to opportunity costs and income velocity. At that point, obviously, we make more use of them. This is not to say that money is not relevant for the economy. For a central bank to say money is irrelevant is the deepest form of sin that such an institution can commit. And here's the quote that I always pull up all the time. This is the context for it. 
The problem is that we cannot extract from our statistical database what is true money conceptually, either in the transaction mode or the store value mode. One of the reasons, obviously, is that the proliferation of products has been so extraordinary that the true underlying mix of money in our money and near money data is continuously changing. It did not stop in the 1970s. As a consequence, while of necessity it must be the case at the end of the day that inflation has to be a monetary phenomenon, a decision to base policy on measures of money presupposes that we can locate money. And that has become an increasingly dubious proposition. Increasingly dubious? It had been dubious for decades by to the year 2000. So as Jay Powell wanders up to Congress and talks about inflation, one of the things he will not be talking about is money because the Fed doesn't do it. The Fed doesn't know it. The Fed doesn't do any of those things. It, it, the monetary system evolved during the, really before the 1970s, but massively during the 1970s, and it never stopped. What happened was the public gave the Fed a break during the 1990s and the first half of the 2000s, thinking that Alan Greenspan moving an interest rate around had something to do with creating the great moderation. And to, to this day, even though the Fed screwed up one thing after another, especially since 2007, we still give them the benefit of the doubt when Humphrey Hawkins, the entire purpose of it is to hold them accountable. If only we could go back to the time when even the idiots in Congress realized the Fed wasn't what everybody thinks it is. I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. As always, huge thank you to Eurodollar University subscribers as well as our Eurodollar University members. Until next time, take care.